Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So we've been in um, the parables. We've been in a, a series called... 10 stories. And throughout the course of the summer, we felt like it would be uh, significant uh, as we prayed into what God was speaking over us, that he said that we need an encounter, a consistent ongoing encounter with the Holy Spirit. We need to encounter God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he said that we're to um, focus on the person of Jesus this summer. That if we wanted an encounter with the Holy Spirit, then we need to get in touch with the person of Jesus through the teachings of Jesus and um, through the stories, the telling and the retelling of the stories of Jesus. And so we've been in the parables of Jesus, specifically in Luke, and that's where we're going to be today in uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And I wanted to share with you a story first. Our, our title this morning is Never Give Up. I don't know how many of you have seen that graphic before, maybe on like a motivational speaker kind of context, but how many of you feel like the frog sometimes? in life. I know I do. I don't know. If we were really honest, I feel like the frog a lot more uh, increasingly so, but never giving up is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Persistent prayer. And I wanted to share a story with you really quickly um, about never giving up. A friend of ours, um, a friend of ours here at the church, I, I didn't tell this for service, I'm going to tell it. Um, a friend of ours here at church had uh, overdosed on heroin not long ago. And the doctors uh, pretty much wrote him off um, as dead. And since the church has come alongside and family has come alongside and prayed over our friend um, consistently, our prayer was never giving up. Lord, let your kingdom come to our friend. Let him walk again. Let him speak again. Bring wholeness to his body. Singing over him as he's in the hospital. And where everyone was saying, uh, this is, he's never going to be the same. His life is over. These sort of, um, these sort of announcements and pronouncements over his life. We've seen him since not only recover, but um, walk away from the hospital and rehabilitate from the rehabilitation center, the healing hand of Jesus on his life. And the other day, (laughs) the other day, I get a text message and there's a picture of my friend chilling at the beach with sunglasses on at Edgewater Beach. I'm like, God, how good are you? Never give up. Now, some, some stories are not like this. Some stories you pray for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You pray that a loved one would come back to Christ. Maybe there's a loved one who has a terminal illness, or maybe it's a son or daughter who's walked away from the Lord. Maybe you're in the middle of a bad custody battle for your kids. But whatever it is, our encouragement in this passage is to never give up. 
never give up. And so we're going to read in Luke 18, 1 through 8, this story that Jesus tells. And we read this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet... Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? There's a story about a young William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, of course, was one of the main uh, freedom fighters of the abolitionist movement in the UK and England to abolish slavery. And there's a story of William Wilberforce... uh, Uh, growing tired in the early 1790s as this fight to abolish slavery is going on. He's growing tired and the, the, uh, the thick of the fight is yet to come in the early 1790s for the uh, uh, abolishing of slavery and the slave trade in England. And one night as William Wilberforce is alone and frustrated and tired in the middle of a dark night, he pulls out his Bible and he's, he kind of reminds me of myself because there's always stuff like flying out of my Bible, like little tokens, you know, that I've kept over the years, little mementos, little signposts of God's faithfulness in my journey. And so William Wilberforce opens his Bible and out falls a small leaf of paper. And on that paper is a, a, an excerpt from a letter that he was given um, by his friend John Wesley. Many of you know John Wesley, John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist movement and friends with William Wilberforce. Right before John Wesley died, he wrote a letter to William Wilberforce, and this is what he wrote. It said, unless, uh, John Wesley said, unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go, William, in the name of God and in the power of his might. Isn't that powerful? 
There, and this story is not unique. This letter gave, from John Wesley gave William Wilberforce courage and fortitude and most of all perseverance to stay the course in the abolishment of slavery in England. And it's, it's not unique to William Wilberforce. I've read to you here on Sunday morning the story of Martin Luther King Jr. and the heat of the battle and the civil rights movement when he's receiving like hundreds of calls a day. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill your family. How dare you stand up to this? Back down. And he remembers God's word to his his soul to stay the course. Don't give up. And so a word of encouragement to all of us this morning and a word of gratitude and thankfulness. Thank you for being here today. You chose to take a breath. You are part of the breathing people. You have breath in your lungs. And you chose to get up and walk through those doors this morning. And that takes great courage and great perseverance. No matter what storm you're going through in life right now, no matter what trial you're experiencing, you chose to walk through the doors this morning. Thank you. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not giving in, for not backing down. You're here this morning. You made it. It's good. Never give up. The first thing we hear in this parable is those without a voice speak. Those without a voice speak. Luke 18.3, Jesus says there is a widow in that town who kept on coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now the treatment of widows in first century Palestine is a context we need to understand for this story. First of all, we see that there is a widow, so we know that her husband is not in the picture. And in that time, and and also that she is a woman. She's a woman. And in this time, in first century Palestine, women are considered second-class Citizens, no rights, there's, no, there's, there's nobody going to bat for this woman. She has no money, she doesn't really have a plan B, and so she's coming to this unjust judge, which we'll get to in a moment, and she's saying, grant me justice. Somebody come alongside of me. Someone, someone, is, there, is, is anyone listening And she's coming day and night. And it wouldn't be like today's court systems in those days. This would be more like a circuit rider kind of uh, context where somebody in authority who's versed in the law would come around every so often and would see cases all through the day for a certain amount of fixed time and then up they'd go to come around later, you know, in the next couple of months. And so they'd, the judges would see everyone that they could through the day, which leads us to the unjust judge. This guy's crooked. From what, from what Jesus points out in this uh, story, he's not very upstanding. He's, he's probably taking bribes to increase people's, you know, um, queue in line to see their case first and he, he doesn't care about God. He doesn't fear God. He also doesn't care much what anyone else thinks about. Really, he's thinking about himself. The judge is thinking about himself. And he's saying, what 
this woman keeps on coming to me to grant me justice against her adversary, or to grant her justice against her adversary. And it's really funny, the Greek word here when he says, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Eventually wear me out. The Greek term there for that phrase is more akin to like getting a black eye. So this woman <laughs> will not stop. She ke- it's not like a, liter- like a figurative black eye. Don't, husbands, don't use the Greek here when you, th- your wife asks you to take out the trash. Okay, that one was like... Eventually, this woman is going to wear me out. Black eye, punch to the face, stop bothering me. That's how persistent this widow is. Those without a voice speak. And what Jesus is trying to say here is that it's not shallow faith. You're not exercising shallow faith by asking God numerous times. You're not exercising shallow faith by asking God numerous times. It's the enemy who seeks to intimidate us and make us timid so we don't use our voice. It's not the father trying to muzzle you. It's the enemy who makes you feel like you shouldn't bother God with this or that. He doesn't care. Does that really sound like the heart of a loving father? It's the enemy who would seek to intimidate and seek to muzzle our mouths. He's roaming around, the scriptures say, like a He's prowling around like a lion seeking to kill and steal and destroy. Now, the father's not like that. And we'll get to that in a second. Maybe I'm moving too far ahead of myself. But I don't know about you. I feel like that frog a lot of times. I feel like if I ask God more than once, it's like I'm being a bother to him or an annoyance in his ears. Do you guys ever feel like that? Maybe I'm alone in that. It's hard to know when we should speak up and when we should stay silent. Sometimes I feel like I speak up when I should have shut up. And sometimes I'm silent when I know on the backside of it I should have spoken up and said something. Yes? It's hard to know. Those in authority, listen. Those in authority, listen. So just a quick word here about the unjust judge. He says he... He doesn't fear God at all, and he doesn't care about what men think. Really, he is a people pleaser, and he cares a lot what people think about him, this unjust judge. But the first thing we need to know is that this is not an analogy line word for word for our relationship with God. Yes, we are like the widow, or we want to become like the widow who is persistent in our prayers. But God is not an unjust judge. He's not, it's not synonymous. Do you, do you understand? He's not, he's not the unjust judge who, because you bother him with something, he'll finally answer a prayer. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
But a brief word here to speak to the unjust judge, to those who are in authority positions, those who are managers, those who are entrepreneurs running their own business, those who are bosses, those who are teachers, those who are in some sort of authority position and any sort of influence in folks' lives. Take time to listen to people. Take time to listen to people, to hear their story, to hear and and dust for the fingerprints of God in, in, in folks' lives. Take time to listen. That's all on that. That's all on about being in authority is listen, take time to hear people. Thirdly, the character of God. The character of God. We know and we sing in churches and churches all across America this morning, you know, they're going to be singing Good, Good Father. It's like, you know, CCLI. It's like cha-ching, cha-ching, Good, Good Father. Church of a Thousand, cha-ching, Good, Good Father. <laughs> Side note to songwriters out there. Somebody's making money. Um, and it's not the songwriters. Um, we know it in our heads Yes, Lord, you are a good, good father. Yeah. Amen. But I wonder how, mu- how many of us really experience the goodness of God as father in our hearts. That he loves us as a father, loves a son. And not as our earthly fathers have not loved or loved us, but he loves us perfectly well. And he listens. He's not the unjust judge. He's a caring father. And we'll get into more of that in a second. In Matthew, here's, here's the heart of the Father. And this is a similar story. And Jesus is talking and he says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If this unjust judge in the parable of the persistent widow here, if this unjust judge is bothered to the point of being smacked around like getting a black eye from this persistent widow, will grant this widow justice in her situation. How much more, how much more the father heart of God towards us as his sons and his daughters. It's the character and goodness of God. Because that's who he is. He can't help but take the side of the oppressed. And we shouldn't hear in this parable just those we think that are poor and oppressed. I'm not devaluing those who are actually oppressed in our society or who are homeless or who are a a stranger, the refugees in our society. I'm not downplaying that. But everyone has a case before the throne of God. No matter how big or how small you present a case throughout some point in your life or at numerous points in your life. You're coming before God and you're saying, can you hear? Can you see what I'm going through here, God? Where are you in the midst of opposition? Where are you in the midst of adversity? Where are you, God? Can you hear me? 
All of us have a case before God, yes? And this leads us to the fourth point that we belong to him. We belong to God. And this is mainly where we're going to park this morning. He says in Luke 18, 7, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? When you claim Jesus as Lord over every Lord, King, authority over every authority, you are adopted into a new family. You are not just given a new jacket to put on as an accessory. You are reborn into a new family. You are transformed by the uh, inside out. You have become a son or a daughter of God. You belong to God. Now why is it that you belong to God? If you claim Jesus, why do you belong to God? Is it because you give so much money to nonprofit organizations? Is it because you attend so many church services? Is it because you are nice to a neighbor? Is it because you've done so many things to earn the favor of God? Is that why you belong to him? Or, or perhaps it's because you've not done bad things. You say, you know, I've, I've stayed away from drugs and I'm pretty sure that I'm in good standing with God. Is that why you belong to God because you've not, you know, had sex before marriage or because you've not sinned so many times? No, you belong to God because you belong to God. God made you. God formed you with his hands. He shaped you. The scriptures say that he knit you together. Every little part in your mother's womb before you were even a thought. He said of Eben, I know that you'll be bald as when you're 37. I love you. I made you. I know that you're enthusiastic, that you think everything at your church is amazing. Eben, I love that about you. I made you. He's fired up over you. You belong to him because you belong to him. He created you. He made you. He knit you together. You're chosen in his sight. What does it mean to be chosen? by God? Does it mean that you are a special holy person of God? What does it mean that you are marked separate by God, that you're chosen? Because if you're chosen, it says that God will bring about justice for you. He hears you. He sees you. What does it mean that you're chosen by God? Well, in the, in the grand meta-narrative, the, the grand story of God, we're, we're told that God chose a people for himself through Abraham and Sarah, that there would be a people of his heart, that they would be in the earth to, to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. And we get that, and we're kind of like, okay, you know, the Israelites were chosen. These are, chosen. These are special people of God's heart. He loves them. They're marked out. And we kind of get that. And some people in America, in 21st century America, would say that Americans are, are God's chosen people and special people. 
We get that mantra sometimes from political pundits or different areas of society, but not so. Not so. Since the the death and the resurrection of, of Christ on the cross and through his being raised up back to life, the salvation that was offered to the Jews before and to the Jews alone is now available for everyone. Everyone, everyone shares in the salvation of God. We don't know how far the depths of grace extend through the cross of Jesus Christ, far deeper than any of us could even imagine. The kingdom of God is available and is coming and is at hand to anyone, to everyone. In these days, especially, I don't know when the Lord Jesus will come back, but I know that it's one week closer than last week. In these days, especially, the kingdom of God is coming and available and open to everyone. The welcome of God is for everyone. You belong to him because you belong to him. Nothing can separate you, we read. And in Psalms, we read, Know that the Lord is God. He made us, and we belong to him. We are his people. You didn't make yourself. You are not a self-made man or woman. You did not make yourself. You did not create yourself. God made you. He created you. He designed you, and you belong to him. God's destiny, his purpose for your life is better than any plan you'll ever come up with. So don't give up. Don't give up on the things that you hear in your spirit. Don't, get up, don't give up on the, on the whispers of God to your soul. Stay persistent. Trust him. And if you're going to trust somebody with your life, who better to trust than your maker? The one who created you for a purpose. 1 John 4, 4 says that you're dear children. You belong to God and you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The God that you carry inside of your chest, the God that you carry inside of your chest breathes as you breathe. The Holy Spirit walks <laughs> With you, wherever you move, in culture, at school, at work, he's with you. You belong to God, and he moves, he moves with you. I don't know how. Um, in Ephesians 5, 17, we read, Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. We belong to a loving Father. Belong to Him. And many, many times we have this idea that our prayers are an annoyance to God. Like, that he just tolerates or puts up with our existence. You ever feel like that? If we were really honest with one another and we sat across the table from one another and we got down to brass tacks, would we be honest enough to say that sometimes we feel like we're bugging God in the most annoying way? It's true. Some of us feel like that. You know, it's like this picture, the picture of like this jumble this jumbled up cacophony of sound, of human existence and prayers 
raising up to like, the, you know, the, the whole stench in God's nostrils type of thing? You ever feel like that? You know, like that God is some cosmic disgruntled genie? That, you know, he's done granting wishes and all these prayers are, are rising up and he's got his hands covering his ears. I don't want to hear it anymore. All of the human suffering, all of the, 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 the refugees, all of, all of the, the holocaust, all of the genocides. I'm sick of it. You ever feel like you're an annoyance to God? You ever feel like that? But that's not his character. That's not who God really is. Let me tell you who God really is. Let me tell you how Jesus really hears you. He loves hearing our prayers. In fact, the more you pray, <laughs> the more persistent you are in that thing. The, the Bible doesn't say to pray without stopping. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Don't give up. It's not like this continuous prayer that always has to be going on, praying without stopping. It's praying without ceasing. You want to see that loved one come back to Christ? Don't give up. Pray without ceasing. Not pray without stopping. <laughs> we're, we're, we're exhaustible. We're not God. We can't pray all the time without stopping. He knows we've got stuff to do. Pray without ceasing. Don't give up. He loves, no, he loves hearing our prayers. Let me just paint for you a picture of our prayers rising. Something like the, um, as summer is turning into autumn and, and the mornings are cool and the mist is rising off of a lake or a pond up to the sun to greet the sun, our prayers are a delight to Jesus. Why are our prayers a delight to Jesus? Because we are a delight to Jesus. Jesus delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says that the Lord your God is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. That means the Hebrew of taking great delight in you is that God is like this cosmic cheerleader who is doing backflips. He's so excited that you would want to come to meet with him. He takes great delight in you. That's who the scriptures say that God is. He loves hearing our prayers. He delights in us. Every tear that we've cried, every sigh in the smallest detail, every cry for justice, every plea for help, every tired request, every joy-filled supplication, every overture of love toward him, every petition, every unintelligible groan for help, every song offered in worship God anticipates with great joy and love back towards us. That's who he is. Even when we can't say a prayer, it's too heavy on our hearts. Even when we can't speak one more word, God fills the gaps and his grace becomes the goodness glue. And he speaks for us to the Father when we don't know what to say. We don't have words to speak at all. God speaks even in that he hears our prayers. That's who Jesus is. Charles Spurgeon writes this wonderful passage about uh, prayer and paints this picture, sort of like in the Lord of the Rings. You know, in the Lord of the Rings, when the beacons of Minas Tirith are lit, the beacons, the beacons of Minas Tirith are lit. You know, and the hobbits are like, the beacons. And, you, and it shows that picture. Do you remember of the, the beacons of, of big bonfires on faraway mountains? And they're getting out the alarm. You know, the help is on the way. This is the picture that Charles Spurgeon paints. It's perfect. He says, 
And we remember that the church of Jesus Christ is always in prayer. That's what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is that you pray. You pray. It's what we do, Spurgeon says, meeting together in the evening or in the morning for prayer. Then to our homes we scatter and the family fires begin to burn. And when your family fires are put out and it's just you and Jesus burning the fire and then private devotions have ceased, the sun is just rising in the other land across the western sea. And there they're beginning to pray again. Can you hear it? And when the sun is set, then it rises somewhere else around the world, in the far east, in Asia, there by the Ganges River, there by the Himalaya steeps, and the saints of God begin again. And when the sun winds on its course and again shines somewhere else, then there the saints of the Lord offer incense and a pure offering, so that there is never an hour when this world ceases to offer its prayers. Not one moment even in the darkest shades of midnight when prayer does not ascend from this lower world and God loves every utterance, every single breath. You are not an annoyance to God. You are are not intolerable. God is not just putting up with you. God loves when we come to him. Every single breath, every single word. Lastly, God will show up. God will show up. Thank you, Sharon, for helping me fill the gaps here this week. I was getting too religious as, um, in what I was going to title this last one. And she said, Evan, why don't you just say God will show up? I'm like, thanks, Sharon. That's easy. <laughs> God will show up. God's faithful to his promises. In Luke 18, 8, I tell you, he will see. God will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? God's heart loves A heart that won't quit when life is difficult. God's heart loves a heart that will continue to pray in persistence. When our backs are against the wall, when we're on the ropes, when we're hanging by a thread, whatever euphemism you want to call it, when you feel the weight, God's heart loves a heart that won't quit when life is difficult. How sweet that is for us to know that we are loved by God when we choose to say yes to him and continue to pray when life is difficult. But what more so, how good is God? Show, he's modeling something there. When we, when we don't give up, when we, ne- when we never give up, when we don't quit, what we're saying about God is that he never gives up on us. That he never give, gives up on us. He shows up that's who he is. He can't, God, God cannot abandon, God can do a lot of things. God can save you. God can forgive you. God can love you. God can cleanse you. But one thing that he cannot do is fail you. It's impossible. God is incapable of abandoning anything or anyone that he's created. The last time was the only time when Jesus said at the cross, becoming sin for us, and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on us? When he became sin for us, 
The last time that happened, that God turned his back on us, was the only time that it'll ever happen to us. God will never turn his back on you, even when it doesn't look like God is answering your prayers. He's working on your behalf. He's working to see the thing through. He's working to develop character in you. He's working to develop faith in you. He shows up. He can't help but showing up. He's a rescuing, saving God. And some of you are saying, well, I don't know, this picture of the frog and the stork, you're saying, um, never give up, like I'm still in the middle of the struggle. Pastor, you might be there, but I've given up hope a long time ago. I quit a long time ago. Well, the good news is for you this morning as well, because even that's how good God is, that even after we've quit, he still won't give up on us. Even after we feel like we've got nothing left to give, nothing left to be, no hope is residing in our hearts, even then, God will show up. Even then, God will still work on our behalf. Even then, he's interceding to the Father for us. He can do anything but fail. And that encourages me to never give up. That encourages me to keep going. Knowing that he's never let me down in the past points to my future. When I set up signposts in the past, when I, when I keep little leaflets like Wilberforce did in his Bible, when I remember that God, I can, God, if it weren't for you in that situation, I don't know how I'd be alive. I really don't. If it weren't for God, I don't know how I'd be here before you this morning. I truly don't. <laughs> And we set up these signposts, these mile markers that actually point to our future and point to our destiny. If he was faithful back then, if he pulled through for me back then, he's going to do it again in the future. And we can sing with the hymnist Isaac Watts as he wrote so long ago, Lord, I cannot let you go till a blessing you bestow. Do not turn away your face. Mine's an urgent and pressing case.